Good morning and welcome to The Crownsman Show. During this very difficult time of COVID-19, we continue to keep people connected, informed, and encouraged. This is episode 42, and today we will have Chris Brighton as our guest. He is co-owner and operations manager at Avenue Machiner, sorry, Avenue Machinery Corporation. Avenue Machinery is perhaps best known as a Kubota tractor dealer. And today we will have Jared and Chris dig into how long it takes to move the right people into a company and move out people who aren't. They will also be discussing how the technology and new equipment can be frustrating for the older generation farmers and the lessons Chris learned about leadership before becoming an owner of Avenue Machinery. The show is sponsored today by Whipware. Whipware's photo analysis software systems help industries from mining, quarries, aggregate, forestry, agriculture, coal, and explosive remove the need to use manual uh, sieving techniques. Their technologies have saved clients millions in energy costs, maintenance costs, process optimization, quality control, lost time injuries, equipment downtime, quantitative decisions, and you can find out more at whipware.com. We're also sponsored by PowerZone. When you need a specialized team of world-class engineers for your oil and gas pipelines, dewatering, or any fluid handling needs, you want to visit powerzone.com. In addition to their inventory of rebuilt pumps, motors, engines, they also have an amazing team to design and engineer your systems, no matter the challenge and no matter the location. Get in the zone with PowerZone and visit them at powerzone.com. We're also sponsored by Lampson International. Lampson International is a third generation family owned and operated heavy lift and heavy haul construction company with branch offices located throughout North America, Canada, and Australia. Lampson International offers conventional crane rental, heavy transportation, project engineering, and customized rigging, steel and timber mat rental, as well as marine and manufacturing services. They were founded in 1946 by Neil and Billy Jane Lampson. The company is in their 73rd year of doing business. And you can find out more at lampsoncrane.com or email them info at lampsoncrane.com. And today we have our very first featured sponsor, Ashdown Capital. And joining us is Brad Kindle. He is co-owner of Ashdown Capital. Hi, Brad. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Um, so this is a little different uh, from what our, our usual uh, show looks like. Uh, how, how is this working for you? <laughs> well, I'm always happy to be the, the guinea pig, so excited <laughs> to be on. I'm glad, I'm glad. Um, so first off, I'd like to know kind of in this situation we're kind of going through, what, what is that like for you? How are you coping uh, with COVID-19? Yeah, no, it's been interesting for sure. Um, personally, you know, myself and the family are managing staying at home. We're lucky enough business-wise that uh, we have the ability to remote to work remotely. So myself and our full team, we've been set up uh, for a few weeks now working remotely. So it's it's managing. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely been a different environment. We're obviously in the lending space, working with the banks very closely uh, on behalf of businesses. So it's it's definitely a different landscape than uh, than anything we've been in before even even different than uh, 08 09 but uh, we're coping and the banks seem to seem to be working working with us so it's it's working out oh that's great that's great to hear is it is there anything that you'd uh, take from this you know from adjusting to the situation that you'd take and and use later on like throughout the rest of your career well i would say you know making use of these these online uh, meetings is is useful. I mean, saving travel time and and okay. all sorts of other things definitely freeing up freeing up some time. So that's kind of that's been the biggest this biggest learning. I, I say I I say that, but I I miss the face to face already. But uh, yeah. but definitely you know we'll make use of some of the online tools uh, for sure. That's great. Now, please tell us about um, a survey, something you'd like to highlight from Ashdown Capital. Yeah, I think right now it'd be a good opportunity to just to highlight some of the government programs, um, <clears throat> namely the some of the BDC financing. Perhaps um, they've announced that they're lending up to two million dollars to businesses with some really favorable terms. Um, today's it, the interest rate on those loans is three point three percent. They are absolutely inundated with requests. Um, we've been submitting applications on behalf of clients um, recently, and 
one of the things I would say, I mean, whether you're you know, going to get us to help you with that or you're doing it on your own, make sure that you're including you know, all the details and submitting a, a full application that makes it easy for them to, to underwrite or to, to make an understanding of so that they can submit it and get it approved quickly. I heard rumblings that they have some 8,000 applications clogged up in their system right now. So it's important that if you're going to put an application in, you're, you're putting it in a way that they can manage quickly and efficiently so that your application can get approved quick, but so that everybody else's can kind of work through the mill as well. Fantastic. And they can definitely um, look for you to, to help them with that, correct? Yeah, certainly. We're, uh, we're helping all, all sorts of businesses with all different types of uh, loans, whether it's the BDC stuff or restructuring their existing loans or getting bulges, increases on lines of credit, buying new equipment, that kind of thing. That's fantastic. Perfect. Um, well, you, if you would like more information or um, are looking to uh, for some help, definitely visit ashdowncapital.ca uh, or sorry, it's ashdowncapital.com. Uh, yeah, no, I was Dot right. Dot <laughs> yeah, um, or you can contact them uh, via email info at ashdowncapital.ca um, for more information. Thank you so much, Brad. Um, I will also just uh, do a little closing here. Thank you for supporting the show. Please make sure to subscribe at the end of each episode. I will also let you know how else you can support the Crownsman Show. And now to get started with episode 42, Jared and Chris. We have Chris Brighton on uh, on with us from his location out in you're out in Abbotsford, is that right, Chris? Correct. Yeah. Um, and and Chris is the co-owner of Avenue Machinery. They've got several locations across BC. Um, they're a Kubota dealer and um, uh, Macy Ferguson. Fent. Uh, what are what are the the uh, um, <laughs> wow For, first remote episode? First remote episode. I'm going to struggle a bit. What What are the product lines you carry, Chris? Well, we're we're uh, we're both a farm equipment dealer, which is traditionally what we were, and we, but we're also a Kubota industrial dealer. So we so carry like Kubota. And... Pardon me. So that would be like construction and and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, construction equipment and farm equipment housed in the same. Uh, dealership. So how did you how did you get started? Um, were you one of the founders of Avenue Machinery, or did you did you buy in? How did that all start for you? Well, it uh, it started for me in uh, 2010, but uh, Avenue Machinery goes back to 1947. Oh it wow! Was, uh, it was a Massey Ferguson dealer uh, back then. And uh, so it's been a, uh, uh, in business since 1947 to, its, uh, to today. And uh, it's had some uh, changes over the years, obviously, over 70, I think 74 years or so. Uh, ownership changes and, uh, and uh, equipment changes. But essentially, it's, uh, it's the same company. Um, today as it was in 1947. So, so how did you get involved in it? It's, uh, my history is uh, going back to being a, a heavy-duty mechanic from uh, the late 70s, I'm kind of aging myself, but um, back then uh, I worked for a John Deere dealership here in Abbotsford. Mm and uh, spent 10 years uh, learning the agriculture equipment industry. And then I switched uh, in 1990, I switched into um, the industrial uh, division of John Deere and okay. worked, worked in that uh, sector for 20 years. And uh, in 2010, I kind of didn't retire, but I made a change from um, from the industrial division to uh, come to Avenue. And uh, the intention was to uh, kind of help a, a struggling business at the time and, uh, and purchase it with a couple of partners and uh, see if we can't make a, make a good go of it. 
So when you came on board, now was it? Now you said it started off as a Basie Ferguson. Um, was that? Did, what did Kubota and that? Did that come off Fent? Did that come on after you joined? No, no. Um, so back in uh, through the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, uh, it was primarily a Massey Ferguson dealer. And then uh, when it, even into the 1970s, I guess. And then in the uh, late 80s, uh, or in the 70s, sorry, they brought in Kubota from Japan. And uh, back in those days, uh, you know, uh, Asian machinery uh, was not really well thought of by the North American market, whether it's cars or industrial or agriculture. Uh, but it's the products got stronger and stronger and better quality and uh, Kubota became the primary product that we sell based on uh, its growth and its quality uh, kind of to in the market uh, and it Kubota is a, a product line that runs the gamut essentially from lawn and garden equipment right through to uh, about 250 horsepower tractors. So that suits our market here in, the, in British Columbia quite nicely. And on yeah. the side of that is the industrial equipment, which is broadening uh, every few years. They keep adding product uh, to that lineup. So that's, that's, uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I wanted to get into the, uh, the some of the service and offerings and get, get it get a better understanding because I, I know that you, you see when you go to look at Kubota products they do have that full line so you're customer based I mean you're out your your location you're in is Abbotsford but um, and we'll get into some of the other locations you have as well but is that what is your customer base would, would it be does it change from location to location like in Abbotsford what would be uh, I don't know about exact percentages but what percent roughly would be of you know big agriculture construction um you know someone just looking to mow their lawn is it is it pretty evened out or do you do, does avenue uh heavily tilt towards the commercial users that's a good question actually uh it's and it's it's got uh it's a bit of a long discussion uh if i were to explain it thoroughly but with the three locations that we uh, that we operate in. So we're in the Fraser Valley here. Uh, the market is uh, traditionally dairy farming is, uh, is been a mainstay. And that's how the company started serving dairy farmers. And of oh, course, okay. uh, anybody that drives through the Fraser Valley being a highly productive area, agriculturally, uh, raspberry farming, uh, blueberries, um, you know, fruits and vegetables. If you look to the west in the Surrey Delta area, there's a lot of vegetable farms out there. Uh, we have uh, in the far west, just south of Vancouver, there's quite a few potato uh, farmer operations. Yeah. Uh, so they use the big tractors, the, the 200, uh, yeah, 200 horsepower plus tractors. And then you get into the, into the Delta area, or sorry, the... Uh, Surrey, South Surrey area, you'll have your vegetable farms. They, uh, in uh, their operations, use kind of uh, 40 horsepower to 120 horsepower tractors. And uh, then when you come into the valley more, you get into your heavy dairy farming uh, customers. And uh, they, they use anywhere from a 40 horsepower tractor right through to a 320 horsepower tractor so the offering is quite broad in the Fraser Valley so you've got dairy you've got all your uh, poultry farmers that use some of our equipment you have um, the fruits and the uh, vegetables and then if you take that and move that into uh, we go up to the Okanagan where we operate in North Vernon and in the West Kelowna area, we have two operations there. They're primarily Kubota, 
And up there, you of course, you've got your orchards, apples and cherries, uh, and you've got the vineyards that we service up there, plus right. a number of dairy farms that have relocated from the Fraser Valley due to the cost of the land here and uh, the cost of operation. So they've sold out down here and they've moved those dairy farms up into the Okanagan. Hence Vernon and- uh, yeah. yeah, so it would be like Armstrong and Enderby. And right. Kind of through the mountains there. And, and quite a few dairy farmers are, are opening up again up in those areas. So we, ha we really do serve a broad spectrum of agriculture. So when people ask me, you know, what's our primary, uh, you know, customer that we serve, it's virtually all agriculture, including nurseries. They're actually a big user of small tractors to move right. in and out of the out of the uh, uh, the greenhouses, uh, stuff like that. So, and that's not even uh, addressing our industrial cu customers. Yeah, so to stick with the uh, the agriculture, and I do want to touch on the the industrial uh, in a moment. The on the because because you sell three different tractor lines essentially. Does do do each tractor sort of have their own specialty where you go? These this is what's I mean M Macy Ferguson or Kubota. These are really good. Kubota's really good for greenhouses, or Macy Ferguson's really good for the the heavy the heavy plowing, or you know things like that. Do do they separate out? Yeah, they do actually. Uh, so uh, on the Kubota line, you've got basically uh, in when you talk agriculture, you're coming in at a at around a 30 horsepower tractor through to a 200 horsepower tractor, and uh, the Kubota line uh, hasn't traditionally had high horsepower tractors. That's only been in the last few years. Mm. So to fill that gap, traditionally, uh, Kubota was the uh, primary uh, primary product that we sold as far as the market. Uh, we had good market uh, penetration with that with that brand. Uh, when we do talk about the Fent tractor, the Fent tractors are built in Germany and they're super high tech. It's like owning a Mercedes Benz car, essentially. They're very flashy tractors, they're super quiet. Uh, they are big horsepower tractors, they're expensive, but uh, they satisfy the market from between 150 horsepower to about 320 horsepower. So the people that are buying that type of tractor uh, are doing uh, some pretty heavy field work. Mm -hmm. So they'd be plowing and disking and, and pre uh, land preparation or uh, doing uh, custom hauling. Uh, so manure hauling is, a, is a, something that gets, uh, uh, is kind of a custom, what custom operators uh, would do. And they tend to lean on very big, heavy horsepower tractors Right. And they have a, physic, a, a very physical heavy weight to them. So when you're hauling tens of thousands of pounds of manure in these tanks and it's, it moves around in the tanks a little bit, pushes a tractor around. So you right. have a very big tractor with good braking capabilities. So they have a lot of features. Um, so that's why we have the Fent brand because Kubota doesn't make a tractor that big. I see. And there are European customers that really lean on uh, that European tractor. Right. So when you get into now, now on the industrial side, where, where, what gap do you fill there? Um, and is that across all your locations? So I just want to review. You've got a location in Abbotsford, Verdon, Kelowna, and Rock Creek. Do you still have all four? Yeah, Rock Creek, Rock Creek is a uh, kind of a small little uh, uh, sub-dealer that we have there oh, okay. to service customers that are quite a ways away from our dealership locations. Okay. So these, uh, these are ranchers that are up in that area, and they need to have – they're doing hay farming uh, and beef farming up there, and they, they need certain types of equipment up there. So we – uh, when we sell into that area to help them uh, stay serviced, we have a 
mechanic uh, fellow that lives up in that area uh, that looks after those customers remotely, essentially. I see. So now, so on the industrial side, um, let's say in, in Abbotsford then, what, what, are you, what are you primarily providing to those customers? Uh, so we have excavators, uh, skid steers, uh, and, uh, and rubber tire loaders. And the skid steers, uh, they're very popular in, in agriculture and industrial. Okay. And so, uh, and so, as well as our excavators, they're very, uh, Kubota has done a very good job in uh, building their excavators uh, and their product line. They're well known for their reliability. Yes. So, uh, so they've, we've had uh, very good penetration in the market uh, with our industrial line based on kind of the reliability, the fuel efficiency, uh, the, the manufacturer support is fantastic with Kubota. Uh, and uh, so we really service uh, the light construction market because, again, Kubota does not produce a big they're not in the big excavator market so we our biggest excavator at this point is a an eight metric ton machine and there's a lot of machinery that's sold in our trade area that is larger than that and so we don't yeah. play, we don't play in that market at all so we do we have very good penetration with landscapers rental companies right um, construction companies that require two or three uh, small machines for cleanup purposes, uh, pipe digging, you know, around residential areas. Yeah. Need a small machine. We have fantastic penetration in, the, in that market. The, the other part of this that I wanted to, to touch on is the, I mean, you've got uh, on your website, it's very clear, your new end used. And I'm very interested, and I actually want to spend some time on it because, um, you know the 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 old car business model where they they sell new and used and you know finance the new ones and then or lease it and after a couple of years you trade in and is it very similar when you're dealing with with the agriculture sec sector and you know farmers having to keep their their equipment up to date is it a very similar model and and to add to that is that equipment does the used equipment go out to a separate set of customers or like how does that cycle work? I'm assuming there must be some cycle because the land is continually being utilized. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, a good, that's a good question. Uh, the used equipment can be very challenging uh, to, uh, uh, because a lot of the equipment that comes in, it's been out there for a number of years uh, it's some of it's in rough shape, but the the people that are looking at uh, used farm equipment are sometimes the hobby farmer, or uh, a uh, could be a, even a, a well-run pro big professional farm. They're looking for a tractor just for just the odd job around the around the farm, and they don't want to spend a lot of money or put a new tractor in that in that job, essentially. So uh, it's not quite like the car market, although we're set up essentially the same as, as an automobile dealership. We have parts, sales, and service. Uh, the, the business model is the same. Uh, the challenge of getting rid of used equipment is uh, different in that there is no uh, auctioning price Essentially, you take your car into, uh, if it's more than five years old, you take it to a dealership to trade your car in, and they typically will give you a set amount of money. They'll just type it into, a, into an auction place, and it'll say that car's worth $5,000, and they won't give you any right, more no right. matter what, because they don't right, even right. put that car on their lot. They just flow it through. We have no way to do that with the... Uh, with used farm or industrial equipment. So we look, we have to actively look for homes for those used pieces that come in. And uh, oh, it's a bit of used equipment uh, business. So when most, comp what most customers are being, being 
primarily companies, um, are they are they going to would find it? Are they typically buying these, or is it is it leased now? I mean, is that how most people are buying new equipment, especially on for large production? Um, uh, depends on the customer. <laughs> uh, the leasing model is uh, a few years back started to get popular. Yeah. Uh, what happens is the customers uh, in the end are just renting the tractor essentially, or renting the the uh, industrial equipment, if you if you want to look at it that way, and uh, so they're not really building equity in the machinery. Uh, so it makes it difficult when the customers rotate machinery through on lease programs, because you uh, you have to find a home for those uh, those machines that come back to you from the lease, and a lot of farms want to know what their payments are or a lot of industrial customers they just want to know a monthly payment and then they can kind of figure out their expenses from that but um, in the end um, we have to find a home for lease returns and it kind of floods the market with used equipment and so that yeah. kind of impacts your new equipment sales right you know, and that's that sort of leads into this next part that I'm I'm always I'm always fascinated by how markets change. You know, like like you said, now lease has become more popular. People are budgeting out their projects, so they just want a monthly payment. They put it into their finance model. How much? I mean, I, I actually I, I didn't realize you had been in the in the industry for so long with John Deere. You said 20 years in industrial and 10 years in the egg. Is that right? Yeah, 30 years so with John much, Deere. Th 30 years with John Deere. So how much has it changed? I mean, obviously, there's so many things. But, I mean, obviously, the equipment itself has changed. But but just just even at the grassroots level, how much has, has the, the agriculture industry changed and the dairy industry, just the way that things operate, your relationship with them? What have you seen at, over, I mean, uh, I, I over 30 well now I guess <laughs> pushing up to 40 years now 40 years yeah yeah I've been around for a while um, it has <laughs> changed dramatically so when you you go back to when uh, I was an apprentice everything was very mechanical and uh, all through my years of learning the uh, the trade of uh, repairing the equipment uh, you could visually see uh, problems that were occurring with the equipment. Uh, yeah. Today, everything is, uh, I would say, a little more difficult for our mechanics. Um, they have to be very good with uh, with laptops. Uh, they have to be able to uh, be able to decipher, plug these, uh, plug the computers in essentially, and understand. Uh, what the programs and the, the fault codes and all the problems that come up on the screen and chase that problem through. And it could be anywhere from uh, a physical problem, say in a tr if you have a transmission issue uh, where it doesn't drive, you could have a physical problem inside the transmission, you could have a sensor problem, you could have a, uh, a problem in the wiring harness, and you could have a problem with the control that activates the transmission so it gets complicated it so I would say that the, uh, the mechanics today require uh, more electrical training they, they require a yeah. lot more um, diagnostic training to uh, be able to come to a solution quickly on a repair where in my day, uh, you know, we could we could come to a faster resolution. And uh, just as a, an example, uh, years gone by, uh, there was two dollars of parts to every dollar of labor charged to a repair. Today, it's about it's almost like it's two dollars of labor to every dollar of parts. 
So you could be spending wow. hours diagnosing a problem, and eventually you come to the solution and you find out that it's a sensor problem. And you buy the sensor, and the sensor's, say, $50, and the labor was $400. You know, so right. it, this, this, the 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 the, uh, the market has changed essentially uh, that way, and customers struggle with that. That makes sense to you? Yeah, it does. You know, I'm, you know, and I'm curious too. Though I, I was talking, I remember years ago, I was, I was actually talking to my father, and I was, you know, you always hear about the the good old, the, the essentially the good old days where the you know, vehicles were tougher and all that stuff. And he, he laughed, he said, he said, no, he said a, a truck used to go maybe 100,000 clicks. Now people are getting half a million off them. You, you can't even compare the quality of today that they were yesterday. Is that, is that true? Is it sort of a nostalgia that, that, that nowadays how much, like do tractors run longer? Do they, you know, obviously they have more features of course. But, but the parts quality is part of the reason or any of the reason that that, that has switched from a higher labor cost to a parts cost is because the, the, the parts are better as well? Uh, yeah, what you're saying is, and what your father is telling you is actually is true. It's, that is the case. Uh, whether it's a car or a truck or, a, or agriculture or, or industrial equipment, uh, these... Uh, pieces of machinery are far better than they were 30 years ago. Absolutely. Uh, the farm tractors, they run, uh, they run longer with less problems. Uh, you don't have to service them as often. So the service intervals uh, are extended based on better quality oil, better quality manufacturing, better filtration. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of changes uh, in the last number of years that have created that scenario, uh, but at, but it has created a problem where your average person cannot repair their own tractor, yeah. and that that create uh, that's a problem with people my age essentially that maybe are still operating these businesses, whether it's industrial or agriculture. Uh, a guy my age on a dairy farm still want to still think I can do that stuff when, uh, when really I can't, uh, I won't yeah. have the tooling and maybe able to change the oil, but that's, that's it. And, uh, yeah. you, you know, the service servicing of the machinery has, uh, extended the hours out so that the cost of operation is actually less on new machinery than it was years ago. Yeah, but I, I do understand it's probably hard for to let go that uh, you, uh, you know, you used to after a day, you'd go and work on the tractor and, the, you know, throw on the lights and, you know, there's scenes from movies in it. I mean, it's, it's sort of, it's romanticized as well in a way, right? So I, I can see how that's hard to all of a sudden you're basically just driving a computer. <laughs> well, we call it uh, like on the Fent tractors, essentially they're drive, they're uh, drive by wire. Essentially, you know how they say on an airplane fly by wire. Well, it's yeah. drive by wire. It's all electronic. There is no linkage anywhere in that tractor. It is completely electronically electronics over hydraulics. Wow. Yeah. That's... Very, they're sophisticated. The, so, and I want to talk, talk a little bit. I mean, you've been in the industry for, for you know, you talk about 40 years. You deal with a lot of people. And and I kind of, I'm curious, you know, do you, do you still have some of the same people that you, you uh, dealt with 30 years ago? Or are there people that sort of stand out that you that you see their truck pounding into the, the driveway? And it's, and it's, you know, you develop these relationships when you're in an industry, one industry that long. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, regardless of uh, uh, how business operates, we're still humans, and we like our we, we want to have trust uh, with our uh, people that people that we do business with, and and uh, so um, it's still a people business. Uh, 
even though we have all these uh, ways of doing business through computers and emails and all that, people still like to talk to people. And yeah. uh, they get a sense of uh, who you are, the trust factor. Uh, and uh, you can do a lot of business still with a handshake, uh, although we have a lot of electronics uh, tools to work with. Face to face and a handshake goes a long way. Uh, to answer your question, are there a lot of people that we still deal with? Absolutely. Uh, we are still, I still uh, see farmers that uh, um, it's almost like we're dealing with the grandpa, the son, and the grandson now that are coming yeah. here to pick up parts. And when they come in, we have the coffee pot uh, uh, on the in the showroom and uh, the customers uh, will stand around and we'll share what's going on in the industry or we'll just share what's yeah, going on, you know, especially what's going on right now. Uh, yeah. And uh, people are staying away actually right now for the most part. Uh, business has softened. But um, we are still taking a lot of phone calls and uh, we still need to support the, uh, uh, the, the customers out there. The uh, animals need, still need to be fed, you know, the milk still needs to be uh, processed and, and uh, otherwise we're all going to be hungry this winter. So we are considered <laughs> essential business and the, and the farmers that are coming by and, and uh, picking up parts are actually thanking us for staying open uh, during this time. So again, that relationship that we have with the customers is important. It's even important on the industrial sector. It's just a yeah. little bit less personal. Because I guess with the industrial projects are changing, right? Everything's all there's a lot there's a lot more shift. Whereas in agriculture, it's 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 sort of more of a rinse and repeat process, right? Yeah, it's family oriented still. Uh, even with some of the bigger industrial farms, the yeah. Uh, the relationship is still family, uh, you know, uh, so some of the uh, highly successful farmers that have got the wherewithal to purchase another farm and then set their son up on a, another farm or, or their brother, and so it extends out. Uh, so that relationship is still there with the family. And uh, so they're not, corp they're not corporatized, uh, uh, yet anyway but on the industrial sector or in the construction industry uh, we may be dealing with an equipment foreman for two or three years and then all of a sudden you're dealing with a different guy because that that uh, foreman has moved on for whatever reason so that relationship is uh, not as long not in every case but in some cases it's it's funny, and I, this one thing that always happens in these interviews is that there's always this little nugget somewhere, like oh, oh, I never thought of that, and I just you know when I, I I didn't anticipate that being part of sort of just the difference between the industrial and agriculture. I, I assumed there was a lot of similarities, but it yeah it, now that I think about it, of course, and I I've I've been in the uh, construction industry, so. I know exactly what you mean. The same when I drive up, you know, where I grew up, pretty much it's the same people in the same areas. But you go to a construction, any given construction site, it's a completely new crew. I mean, every sometimes it's every few months. So uh, yeah, that's a it's an interesting difference between the two industries. And you know, I again, I mean, going for as long as you've been in the industry, you've, you've, uh, you're a co you're a co-owner uh, of Avenue Machinery. How do you grow? Ha have you grown the business, um, since you've been involved or was it, is it more, was it more about taking, um, you know, getting it, getting it to where it needs to be and then maintaining it? How have you sort of approached that as, as a business owner? Well, uh, when we, uh, bought the company uh, going back now in 2012. Uh, just a sec, I got a problem with my computer here. Uh, oh, hopefully okay, don't sorry. lose you. Yeah, my computer, I got a notification on there. <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, no worries. 
Yeah. Uh, when we bought the company going back a, n a number of years now, uh, it was it, it was in a struggling uh, position at the time. Uh, the 2008 downturn in the economy uh, really affected the company at the time before I was here, yeah. and they and they struggled to get back to where they were. And so uh, the company, uh, I got asked to come on board and uh, try and uh, get the uh, product support side of the business uh, stronger. Uh, it was struggling at the, on the, that, especially on that on that side of the business in all three locations. And uh, so what I did was I uh, I had to come in and assess the the product support side. So assess the mechanics assess the parts people, assess the processes. And we found some real weaknesses uh, in the business at the time where uh, they need, we needed to modernize and we needed to uh, 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 make, make changes, <laughs> I'll put it nicely, make changes uh, to uh, get the right people in the right spots. And it took a little time, of course. You you don't want to come in uh, like a bull in a china shop, and uh, but uh, we have uh, grown from, I believe we had about, I'd say, uh, thirty five people in three locations, possibly. I think I can't quite remember that, but we at our uh, highest point we were up to about seventy four. 75 people wow. and our mechanic shops went from having uh, six mechanics here in uh, in Abbotsford to uh, to a high of about uh, 20 and uh, so it requires uh, at the time it required the modernization of a lot of the equipment uh, mm -hmm. that hadn't happened I guess under previous your, your mechanical equipment you mean yeah. Service equipment. Right. Yeah, computers, uh, especially training, and getting some of the people. It's not just it's not just me. There's a, a lot of good people that uh, I brought in uh, that helped me achieve uh, the success that we've uh, how, how we've grown. So we've we're not quite tripled our business since we bought it, but uh, we're close to that. And consistent was it more? Was it a? Now you said at the beginning, you know, you, you, you don't you don't want to come in like a bull in a china shop, but sometimes you kind of got to be a bull and make tough tough decisions. Um, so that period, how long did that did that period take to sort of get the right people in place? And and the reason I'm asking too is because you know I, we we look at our demographics and a lot of. A lot of people that are starting out or trying to figure out their next steps in their business or maybe opening a business, you know, they, they've got to make the decisions that you've probably already had to make over the years. So how long did that transition take? And, and because, you know, I think especially when you're starting out, you can, it can be tempting to just kind of reinvent the wheel. And I'm curious, uh, how long was your approach to get the right people in place and frankly, move the, the wrong people out. Yeah. Well, it, it, that's, yeah, that's one way to put it, but um, <laughs> uh, it's probably, yeah, I would say uh, we really started to get traction uh, after about four years. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a slow process. Uh, you know, you make, uh, you make good hires along the way, but you can make some mistakes and, and uh, yeah. get the wrong person because you're trying to, you're trying to make change, and you, and you, uh, you when you hire, sometimes you're you're looking for certain qualities to to solve certain problems, and you make the wrong hire, and uh, th that change doesn't happen, and so you need to readjust again, and sometimes that can upset the whole crew. You've made the wrong choice, uh, yeah, uh, you know, and I have. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But at the end of the day, um, we have we have a fantastic crew today. Very happy with the staff that we have in all of our locations. And that's an ongoing challenge because people have lives and they make change uh, while you're while you're running your business. 
and uh, you may really get a good hire and he's making good inroads and something changes in his life and he moves on. Yeah. Now you're back to square one again, looking for the, the, an individual with similar qualities and they're few and far between. So especially in leadership roles, that's a, that's a tough part. That's a tough part. So the people that are working with me, not under me, essentially working with me and, uh, uh, those key managers, they have to be, uh, as engaged in the business as I am and have those qualities, those personal qualities. It really, it, it genuinely never ceases to amaze me how much a, a set of tasks can be exactly the same. The requirements can be exactly the same, but the difference it takes or one person's approach to another person's approach or their personality differences, it never, ever ceases to amaze me how much of a different result you can get. And, and sometimes it's not even that the, maybe the person is just the wrong fit for that particular, particular role. Um, but you can just get such a different outcome. I'm sure you've seen that many, many times. Oh, for sure. And uh, they have to, they have to uh, sometimes uh, fall into a, um, into a role where they're, they've got certain qualities that you're looking for, but they're, 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 uh, they're missing some of the maybe qualifications or the qualities in another area yeah. so then you yeah. need to shore that up or you need to you, you you say can I train them in that in that or do or is this a something that they just naturally don't have or do have uh, you know the HR side of it uh, essentially when you have a, right. a team of managers you know you can you can really ruin your the morale of your team if you don't um, if you put a guy in, in a management role and he just doesn't have, say, patience or um, he may have the qualifications technically, but he doesn't know how to communicate. So yeah. when you're dealing with the public, uh, it's, the customer is not always right, but they're right many times. And uh, mm -hmm. you want to satisfy the customer at the same time being fair to your business and fair right. to your managers yeah. and allow them to do their job and make the decisions that you're asking them to make. You can't have handcuff them. So you put some uh, processes in place or rules in place to operate. And, uh, you know, good managers will know their boundaries and uh, they'll function inside those boundaries. And if they need help, you need to be have that, you know, that old term, the open door policy. And let's talk about it. You know, and we do that. Yeah. Uh, but all the owners that are part of the business are working here every day, and uh, so we're engaged in what uh, happens on a day-to-day -day basis. We're not remote at all. Yeah, and I, I think that it makes such a small, but such a huge difference too when you know that the the ownership groups are at, are fully engaged. I think even you see it. I've seen the difference between some even large corporations where their leadership has actually made an effort to stay engaged, and you can actually feel it, even in these large teams, that, that just the difference, the way that, that employees will actually take ownership of the com company, and it's, it's just a huge difference. And I wanted to ask, you know, I you know, before we wrap up the show, again, going back to that, and, and there's, there's a very specific reason that I'm, I'm quite uh, interested in the you know the the length of time you've been in the industry and particularly before you transition into ownership because you know when you I'm wondering I, I guess what it comes down to is I'm curious let's say you had been involved you had been in a part of the ownership group uh, 10 years after you'd been with John Deere instead of the 30 years how much how do you think you would have still been able to run the company effectively or how much value did that add that full 30 years being in the industry that long before now being in an ownership where the buck actually stops with you yeah that's a good question actually i've been uh, i've been asked that before actually yeah. uh, 
I think uh, I'll, I'll kind of go back a few years and uh, tell you a, just a kind of a situation that happened to me. My first uh, foray into management was just being a foreman in a mechanic shop and being 30 years old at the time and trying to direct uh, 15 mechanics at the time uh, that were all older than me. Uh, they didn't give me the respect. Uh, they, uh, I found it very difficult. Uh, I don't think uh, even at 30, I wasn't mature enough at the time to be in a leadership role, but I did it for a year and uh, I sure learned a lot. And uh, eventually I just kind of caved from it and I just went back to being a mechanic and I enjoyed being a mechanic at the time. And so my next uh, movement into management in the John Deere world was when I was 40, 10 years later. And it was a completely different story. I had 10 years more of maturity, 10 years more uh, exposure to the customers. Um, and uh, I just found it not difficult anymore to, to face challenging situations and whether it was internally with the staff or, or with the customers. And I, I just, uh, there probably is a, lots of young guys out there that maybe uh, would have done a better job at 30 than I did at the time. But uh, I can guarantee you for me personally, uh, when I attempted management at 30 years old, it was, it was not a success. Uh, I was organized but uh, I struggled with the interaction with staff and customers. And at 40, it, uh, I found it a piece of cake and, and I carried on for another 10 years in, manage in the management side with this John Deere uh, dealership environment. And I received a lot of training there and that helped me formulate, uh, you know, kind of learn, learn the nuances of dealing with uh, customers and tough situations and uh, settling disputes and all that kind of stuff and working with mechanics and hiring uh, you know really good guys hiring mediocre staff and stuff like that and how you fit those people in because not everybody is a crackerjack at their job so you have your um, you have your real quality uh, staff uh, that are uh, just seem to come by uh, their uh, trade uh, naturally and you have other guys you know that are decent at their job they're good at it but it's not quite the same you know uh, right. Right. Yeah. they're not they're not your uh, go-to guys necessarily but you need you need people you know and uh, yeah. so it's a it's a, a difficult uh, a situ uh, situation trying to massage a staff with when you have different personalities and different uh, different abilities. So it's but it's uh, it's been great. I you know I don't I don't uh, stress out uh, very much uh, at my age now. I've I've pretty much uh, uh, served my apprenticeship. I think uh, when it comes <laughs> to dealing with you know issues over time, you know so. It's, it's but but you've got a new one with COVID, hey? That that that's one we haven't seen before. There's always something new. Yeah, it's uh, it's challenging. We're trying our best to keep the staff safe here. Uh, yeah, we yeah. put up the you know we've done everything that the media uh, or the, the the health authorities are asking us to do with the distancing, uh, customers coming in and trying to can to uh, keep the customer safe and keep our staff safe at the same time has been a little challenging because not all the customers are coming in the door and they automatically kind of revert back to a close contact with our parts people say, and they want to yeah. handle parts back and forth. And you know, you're trying to say, uh, I don't need to uh, touch that part. <laughs> you just can show it to me and I can find uh, find it for you, you know? So yeah. it has been challenging yeah. the last few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, 
Do you think, has there anything that you're doing? I mean, now, I mean, we were talking, you were supposed to be in our studio. Now you're remote. You know, we've, we've actually changed our, essentially we're changing our business model because of this. Obviously, you're still going to be close contact. Is there anything, though, that you see is actually going to last as a change? Is there anything that sort of newly developed you went, oh, we could actually do this this way. This is a little more efficient. Actually, yes. Uh, if you take a look at our website, uh, you can uh, almost buy a tractor online. So uh, we have the uh, customers have the ability to have direct chats. You know, you've seen that in lots of websites where they, yeah. you know, somebody comes on and says, "Hi, how are you today? What can I do for you?" Well, we have that, except we have a, a, a another level of that where the customer can get in more engaged with the uh, with our sales staff. And uh, we follow up on our leads, and, and our lead generation through our website has increased. We started doing that already about a year and a half ago. I hired a marketing uh, expert, and uh, uh, I have no uh, training in that side of the of the world kind of thing. So hired the right guy, and uh, we have dramatically changed how we interact with the customers through our website and making it easy for the customer to uh, get information quickly and responding to the uh, to uh, their questions uh, in a in a pretty fast manner and uh, so that's that's a change that we made a while ago but it seems to be actually gaining ground here uh, during this uh, crisis that's going on because people yeah. don't necessarily want to come in here yeah yeah yeah, I think it is going to, we're going to see people that otherwise would have just kind of ignored certain technologies are now going to take advantage of it. And, you know, and we realized even on our end, all of a sudden, well, you know, if a customer flies in, I mean, they've, they're buying plane tickets. We we've had people come all from all over North America. They're, they're buying plane tickets and booking schedules. And, I mean, that money could be going into other places. It could be going into actually promoting the episode as, a pro, as opposed to just traveling. And, you know, it, it does. And I, I think we are going to see shifts in the way that people actually do business and take on technology and integrate it into their, so it's just a normal part of their life. I, I really do think it's going to change things for long term. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It's, uh, it's, it's, op it's, it's, opening uh, everybody's eyes in that you don't necessarily need to get in your car and burn gas to uh, yeah. you know to go look at something essentially you know and your time so there's uh, I mean, people have been using the internet over the last number of years uh, like yeah. Amazon you know uh, younger people use it a lot more probably than the older people but uh, we are leaning in that direction and we're seeing growth in that direction as well and interaction through our uh, website yeah. and parts delivery parts uh, looking up parts customers can yeah, look yeah. up the part themselves and then and then either call us or send us a uh, online request and we can pick those parts and uh, get it delivered to them uh, and then never come into the uh, into the office here at all and we yeah. We started that before, and it seems to have pick, picked up speed during this crisis, of course. Yeah, so it's, it, yeah. It, 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 is, uh, it is a fundamental change. Uh, younger people probably a little easier uh, uh, understanding it than the older customers, but uh, uh, the older customers are still walking in, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. My, my mom, she's pretty slick on that iPad of hers now. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's good. So, so yeah, um, well, Chris, thanks. I know you're. Uh, I know you're busy right now with because you are open on, for essential services and and servicing your customers right now. And I'm I'm sure there's some staff that aren't there in the office with you and all things like that. So I won't keep you any longer. Thanks for doing the show. Um, you are our with with this crisis, you're our first guest. So. Uh, there was a few little glitches and trying to figure things out at the beginning. So I appreciate you sticking with it and finding time to do this with us. We really do appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you having me. Okay. All right. well, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Okay. You, you too as well, Chris. Stay safe and all the best to you and your team.
Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching and please remember to subscribe and follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can also listen wherever you get your podcasts. We're also excited to launch the Crownsman Show donation page. If you are a dedicated fan and watch every episode or you have a favorite industry that you love to follow and would like to help support, um, then please head over to crownsman.com forward slash donations. I'll include the link um, in the description below. We have set up two initial donation options, the five buck monthly subscription and the support heavy industry one-time donation. This is all through PayPal. Um, so if you really want to support, please head over. Um, thank you so much for all your support. And you might even get a little shout out from me on an upcoming show once you become a subscriber or make a donation. Thank you for watching.